British author L.P. Hartley wrote, The past is a foreign country. They do things differently there. Hi, I'm Rob West. That was certainly true when it came to debt. For much of history, if you failed to repay your creditors, you went to prison or experienced something even worse. But in some ways, are debtors still imprisoned? We'll talk about that today, and then it's on to your calls at 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. This is Faith and Finance, biblical wisdom for your financial journey. Well, there's no question that societies in the past viewed debt far more seriously than we do today. For one thing, there were no credit cards or credit scores for that matter. Lenders required collateral, and if you didn't have property to put up, a son or daughter would do. See Second Kings 4, the widow's oil, for an example. And it wasn't until the 19th century that Britain and the U.S. abolished debtors' prisons. Now, the idea of throwing someone into prison for unpaid debt seems counterproductive. How are you supposed to pay off your creditors if you're in jail? Well, just the idea of going to prison was a strong deterrent. These were not pleasant places to be. The threat of prison incentivized you to pay your debts before being hauled off in shackles. Another way that debtors' prisons were successful, if you can call it that, was that they put pressure on your family and friends to step in and pay your debts. Creditors didn't care who paid as long as the debt was settled. Also, in many cases, you had to pay your jailers for food and lodging so you could actually increase your debt by going to jail. It wasn't unusual for people to die there. In many cases, debtors' prison left families destitute. Wives and children sometimes had to follow the husband or father to prison because they lost their homes. But debtors' prison wasn't just for the poorer classes. You might say it was an equal opportunity punishment. Sometimes wealthy people ended up in prison over a disputed debt. And famous people weren't spared either. Some very well-known individuals ended up on the wrong side of the iron bars. Robert Morris was a signer of the Declaration of Independence and helped secure desperately needed funding for the Revolutionary War. Unfortunately, he wasn't that successful with his own finances and ended up in debtor's prison. So did Charles Goodyear, the inventor of vulcanized rubber. Daniel Defoe, author of Robinson Crusoe, was also in prison for unpaid debt, as was the father of author Charles Dickens. Debtors' prisons weren't abolished in America until 1833, and in Britain not until 1869. But that doesn't mean habitual debtors got off scot-free, nor do they today. It just means that unpaid debt moved from being a criminal to a civil offense. Obviously, people are still hauled into court every day for unpaid debt. So not paying what you owe still has dire consequences, and there's no better place to look for that lesson than God's Word. Proverbs 22.7 warns the borrower is slave to the lender. That will never change. Life is still unpleasant for those who run up debt, and worse if you don't pay it. Instead of debtors' prisons, we have credit reports that track your payments or non-payment of every account you open and in minute detail. And from those credit reports, your credit score is determined, a single number that creditors use to determine whether you're a good credit risk. In a very real sense, a low credit score is like being put in financial shackles. In many cases, you can't get a mortgage or other types of loans. Or if you do, you have to pay a higher interest rate than someone with a good credit rating. In recent years, having a low credit score began to affect more than your ability to get a loan. 
For instance, you may find yourself paying more for car insurance, and it can even affect whether or not you get a job because employers increasingly look at credit scores as a part of the hiring process. You're no longer thrown in jail for not paying your debts, but your freedom to make important decisions that affect your life is certainly limited. So it's definitely a form of financial bondage. The Bible never calls debt a sin, but it's full of warnings and reminders that God wants his people free to serve him more fully. Galatians 5.1 reads, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Is debt a problem in your life? If so, we urge you to check out the new FaithFi Debt Assessment. Just go to faithfi.com forward slash debt. That's faithfi.com slash debt. This free resource will not only assess the condition of your debt, it will help you put together a game plan for getting out of debt, perhaps once and for all. Again, faithfi.com slash debt. All right, your calls are next. The number is 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. I'm Rob West, and we'll be right back after this break. Stick around. Absolutely free. We know you've learned to be suspicious of those words, but really, you can get biblical financial wisdom delivered to your inbox each week absolutely free. Articles, videos, podcasts, and special offers on biblical resources. Nearly 60,000 people receive our free weekly wisdom email, and you can too. Create your free FaithFi account by going to faithfi.com and click sign up to begin receiving weekly wisdom in your inbox. Have you downloaded the FaithFi app yet? You need to do that today because this is going to make your life easier. Yes, you can manage your money through the in-app envelope feature. But also, plan out future goals. I want to buy a house in five years, and I'm on track to do that. Here's also what I like. You can connect with people around the country. It's like social media, but better. Ask a question, get an answer, and share what you're learning about money and investing. So why don't you grab your phone right now and download the FaithFi app. Welcome back to Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West. Let's go to Westfield, Indiana. Saul Juan, thank you for calling. Go ahead. Hi, Rob. Thank you for uh, taking my call. I have yes, a question. Uh, I'm very tied financially now. I only have around 2000 cash in hand, and it's one income that I have. So do you think it's a good idea to buy a car now and uh, used car or new car? Can you please advise me with that? Because I need a car since my wife taking the kids to school back and forth, she used one and I'm using the same one, but, uh, but I'm tired of doing this thing. Can you please yeah. um, help me with that? Should yeah. I wait or should I just go ahead? Yeah. Well, you know, it's a challenging environment, uh, number one, because although prices and inventory are improving uh, and the market has drastically improved compared to 20 and 21, uh, prices are still, for all intents and purposes, uh, pretty high. Uh, so we're in a much better position, but it's still not great. Um, so if you could wait, that'd be better, especially since what you're telling me is you really don't have any money to put toward a down payment. Is that 2000 that you mentioned the extent of what I would call your emergency savings, or is that separate from your emergency savings? 
Well, you can say it's emergency savings. Okay, yeah. So you really, because I, I would rather you have as much as, at a minimum, three months worth of expenses in liquid savings so you don't have to, you know, take on debt when the unexpected comes. So I certainly wouldn't want you to put that toward a car, which means now you're financing 100%. You know, the average used car price right now is around $27,000. The average interest rate is nearly 12%. So we're just in a really tough environment where you still got you've got car prices, you know, that are better than twenty and twenty one because of the computer chip shortage, but they're not great. And when you add to that the challenge of the affordability with the high interest rates, uh, it just makes it really challenging. And you don't have any down payment. So I think the key for you is just to do the very best you can to trim expenses to try to save as much as you can for that car purchase. Now. If you were to buy it now, let's say you were to buy it, finance 100%, you bought, you know, an, um, a used car, maybe instead of three or four years old, maybe it's five or six years, uh, you know, you, you buy something that maybe has higher mileage than you might otherwise, um, you know, at that point, would would there be something that uh, could fit into your budget in terms of a payment? Because uh, it sounds like you're living right up to the edge currently, right? That's a, yes. We, we Well, actually... Uh, three months ago, we have been in a crash, uh, and uh, my car just been total, and whatever the insurance payment for it, and everything went went already down uh, completely. Now, try to raise myself, and I came to a point that I need a car because uh, I can't stay working at night. It just uh, make me really tired of doing that. Yeah, and. Yeah. Uh, that's how I thought about. I, I I mean, I find many cars like fifteen thousand, fourteen thousand. It's like three hundred thousand, uh, three hundred dollar a month. But I don't know. I mean, should I take take yeah. that step? And I, do I don't think so. I I just think given how tight things are currently, uh, you're just going to put yourself in a real struggle there if you take on on top of everything else and the fact that you don't have any margin you don't have any down payment taking on a car loan in this environment right now with the interest rates where they are i, I just think that's going to create real problems i understand you're kind of stretched to the max you, you you're doing all the driving and the working and, and it's just creating challenges but i think we need to get creative here figure out ways you can save trust that the lord will provide maybe look for you know a way to take public transportation if you can or get creative in that area but i don't just based on what I'm hearing, I don't feel good about you taking on a loan right now. So I think at this point, we need to try to make do with what you've got and um, and then try your best to trim your expenses such as you can sock some money away so you'd be able to maybe buy something. Hopefully interest rates come down, you know, in the next year, maybe car prices continue to stabilize and you've got a little bit of money for a down payment. Now, all of a sudden, we're in a different spot. So I know that's probably not what you want to hear, Saul One, but I just don't want you to call me six months from now and say, you know, listen, I, I can't afford this car payment. I'm going to have to let it go, or I'm, you know, I've run up a bunch of credit card debt. I mean, that would make problems worse. So I'm sorry I don't have better news, my friend, but we're going to ask the Lord just to give you some wisdom here as you navigate this, and we appreciate your call today uh, to Miami, Florida. Hi, Gabriel. Go right ahead. Hey, Rob, how you doing? Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um. I have, um, okay, this is my situation. I, I own a home. My girlfriend owns a home. And we t- we're talking about getting married. So I was thinking, I have an account where I'm paid like almost $3,000 a month dividend. 
I wanted, I was thinking about paying her property off, pulling out half that money. I know what to cut my dividends in half, but pulling that money out and paying her property off. And because she's going to move in with me, we'll all move together. So paying her and renting her house, renting her property out. Is that a good idea? Well, a couple of things here. Number one is I wouldn't merge your finances until you're married. Uh, you know, two become one once you're married, and that's really the time, in my view, to merge your finances. Uh, in terms of the, you know, paying off the house or not, um, you know, you could rent it out, and uh, if if your rental rate is right, uh, I would imagine you should be able to cover the debt service on the property just through the rental income, Correct. Yes, I will. But the thing with Florida, the insurance, like like two years ago, my insurance went up. So it made my yeah. mortgage go up $700. Sure, if I pay sure. that property off, I don't have to worry about no insurance. I don't have to worry about no mortgage. So I'm eliminating all that, but I'll get the money back. Because right, right, right now in Miami, rental property is going from like 3000 to $3,500 a month. Yeah, I know I do. But here's the thing. I, I just wouldn't recommend you going without homeowner's insurance. I understand Florida's a really challenging environment. It's about to get more challenging. I get that. I'm I'm from South Florida. I know how the, those things go. And I know what's happened with homeowner's prices. Uh, I think the last data I saw is about 13% of Florida homeowners are going without property insurance. That's about double the national average of seven. But I don't recommend it. I mean, your home could be a complete loss and you could, you know, in terms of protecting that asset, uh, you're just, you're taking on a huge risk there. So what I would rather you do is, you know, look at the opportunity of perhaps, uh, you know, going with a, a much higher deductible, uh, the highest you can, and put that amount in savings, try to get that cost down as much as you can. Um, is the money that uh, is generating the dividends, is that in a taxable account or a retirement account? Uh, it's a taxable. I get taxed okay. for it every month. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, uh, so it's a taxable account. So, I mean, you certainly could pull that money out and pay it off, but I would look at it like a business. And if you've got a low interest rate on it, what is her interest rate on that mortgage? Uh, I'm not sure. All right. I'd check that because what you may find is that if you raise the deductible on the homeowners as high as you can, uh, keep that amount in savings, you guys are going to be throwing off, as you said, a lot of cash flow. And, you know, I would look at the opportunity, especially if she's got an older mortgage that's, you know, in the, the twos or the threes, uh, because she got it when that was her primary residence, then you're in a great opportunity with the cost of the debt service low, um, you know, just to go ahead and rent it out, get those high rental prices that you're getting in South Florida and use that to cash flow it and then keep your money growing. Um, and if that could work, that'd probably be the direction I'd go. And then your, your investments can continue to grow. That's my best advice. I hope that helps you, my friend. Thanks for being on the program. I'm Rob West. You're listening to Faith and Finance, and we'll have more of your calls and questions on the other side of this break. The number to call is 800-525-7000. We'll be right back. We are grateful for support from Sound Mind Investing in the Faith and Finance Program. For more than 30 years, they've been helping Christians reach their financial goals with step-by-step -step guidance for investors at every stage, from those just getting started to those getting ready for retirement. Through scriptural principles and practical suggestions, SMI offers financial wisdom for living well. 
More information, including the short video webinar on profit and peace of mind, no matter what's happening in the market, is available at soundmindinvesting.org. If the heavy burden of debt is robbing you of freedom and peace of mind, Christian Credit Counselors can help. We're a nationwide nonprofit credit counseling organization that has helped over 300,000 individuals in the last 27 years get out of credit card debt 80% faster while honoring that debt in full. To learn how Christian Credit Counselors can help you, visit ChristianCreditCounselors.org. That's ChristianCreditCounselors.org or call 800-557-1985. Welcome back to Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West. We've got a few lines open. 800-525-7000 is the number to call. Uh, Adele, I understand you're in Fort Lauderdale. How can I help you? Hi, Rob. Thanks for taking my call. Um, My husband and I could pay off our mortgage. We don't have any other debt. Um, Is it right to pay off a mortgage and then, like, it would take up all of our cash? Yeah. And then do like line of credit for anything we did need yeah. in the future. Yeah, as, as much as I love you being completely debt free, including your home, I would not do it, Adele, at the expense of depleting all of your liquid reserves. That's just going to put you in a really tough spot. So let's try to kind of balance the two, if you will, and not go all the way in one direction or the other. Uh, give me just a quick rundown of what you're talking about in terms of the the cash reserves that you have now, and then give me a, a just an overview of the mortgage that you have today as well. Okay, so um, we our what our mortgage amount is? You mean? Uh, sure. Yeah. What do you own the home, and what's the interest rate? Okay, the interest rate is two ninety nine, and we owe maybe two thirty. Okay, two hundred thirty thousand. And based on your current track, how long before you'd have it paid off? Well, we just refinanced a few years ago, okay. so um, it's a long way off for sure. Okay. Was it a 30-year loan? Yes. Okay. So probably 28 years or so. But you got a great rate. I mean, you're sub three, which just looks brilliant right now, given that rates are seven plus. So that's great. But you've got a long way to go. Now, how far off, just based on what you know today, is retirement, Adele? Well, my husband is 68. He's still working, but he is uh, receiving very little um Social Security. I still have maybe another ten years to work. So, okay. yeah, my husband is trying okay. to work till he can. Okay, great. Now, give me a rundown of the assets that you have, the investable assets. Um, we don't have any really four hundred one ks. I have one that maybe has fifteen thousand in it. We have a couple of investments, um, some gold, um, but nothing. Other than that, we we own our cars, we own everything else. That's, there's just no more debt. Okay, so what's so what are you are you talking about savings? Is that what you would use to pay off the mortgage? Sorry, yeah, savings. And what do you have in there? Um, probably two thirty to pay it off. So you've got just right the same amount as the mortgage, two hundred thirty thousand, and that's just in yeah. a an interest bearing account right now. 
Okay. Now, um, so what is the plan for when, let's say we're 10 years down the road? Uh, well, let me back up. So if he were to retire in a couple of years, um, would your income plus his minimal Social Security be enough to cover your bills, including the, the mortgage? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, now, now, what about when you retire? What happens then? When I retire, probably, um, yeah, probably not. We probably would be living a pretty minimalist life. Yeah. But what I want to do is my condo because I can get a really good deal for my apartment. It's near the ocean, so. And that's the we one where you. That that's the one where you owe the two thirty. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so but you'd have to buy something else. Is that right? Uh, at this time, with the interest rates, I would probably just um, rent something. Yeah, I see. Okay. Well, here, here's the thing. I mean, I, I don't like the idea, especially with this low interest rate. I mean, you're at least right now, you're offsetting. You can get more in the way of interest than you're paying on the mortgage. So that's good because you've got a low rate. I think the challenge is you all have very little in the way of, of investable assets and interest rates at some point will head back down. So I think the you know, really what you need to do as a next step is, is do some retirement planning where you really look at the longer term picture to say, okay, what are our expenses going to be in retirement? Ideally, you would have this mortgage paid off by the time you reach retirement, which is, you said, 10 years from now, because now all of a sudden, you know, you've got uh, uh, that major expense off the table and it's much easier to balance your budget at that point. Do you, you know, with you working and him still working, do you all have a lot of surplus every month or are you living kind of right up to the edge? No, no, we, we're doing pretty well. We're really able to put some money away in savings every single month. So, How much? A thousand, yeah. two thousand more? Um, two thousand probably okay. a month. Yeah. So, so what if at this point you didn't keep funding this, this savings account? What if now you started uh, putting that toward the mortgage? Uh, in trying to pay that down, you know, out of current cash flow. It would be interesting to contact your mortgage company and say, run me an amortization schedule that shows me paying this off in 10 years, if that's how long you think you're planning to work. And what would I need to send every month uh, to do that? And maybe what you find is that if you send 2000 a month for 10 years, um, you know, you plus, you know, an amount that you would, um, you know, 2000 a month would be 24000 a year. And if you did that for 10 years, uh, you're there. I mean, that's 240000 And maybe you put a little bit more on it from your savings. But the idea would be maybe for the next 10 years, you just say, hey, we're going to take every surplus dollar and we're going to put it toward paying off this, this apartment or this condo so that once I enter retirement, meaning you, then that's gone. It's paid off. Now the mortgage payment comes off the table and it's much easier for you all to balance your budget with the, just the social security that you and he would both earn. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And yeah. then you take the, the 230,000 and you invest it. 
uh, you know, and, and get an advisor to start, you know, allowing that to grow over the next decade. And now we've got two things going on. We've got a plan to be debt free by the time you retire. And maybe that 230,000 becomes, you know, 350,000 over the next decade. And now all of a sudden we've got a nice asset that we could be converted to an income stream. You know, if, if you built that up to 350,000, like I mentioned, and we just pull 4% a year, uh, you know, that would throw off an extra $1,000 plus a month, $1,100 a month that you could add to Social Security. So I think that's the way that I would go. A couple of things. One is hire an advisor to manage the 230000 You can find a certified kingdom advisor on our website at faithfi.com there in Fort Lauderdale. Then call your mortgage company and say, hey, I need you to run an amortization schedule. Tell me how much I need to send every month to have this mortgage paid off in 10 years. And let's keep both of these things going on a parallel track. And then when you're ready to retire, I think you're in a much better position than you are today. Hope that helps. Thanks for your call. Well, once again, our time went by way too fast, but tune in next time and we'll do it all over again. Before we go, I'd like to thank our incredible production team, Amy, Devin, Jim, Robert, Brandy, Rob, and Ben. Couldn't do it without them. Have a great rest of your day, and I'll see you again next time for another edition of Faith and Finance. Faith and Finance is provided by FaithFi and listeners like you.